T-Mobile, Under Armour, Simon Property Group, Apple, and Uber, all on this week's episode of News Entrepreneurs Experience. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of News Entrepreneur's Experience. You might think, that sounds like a funny title, News Entrepreneur's Experience. Dylan, what's the deal, man? Well, the deal is that in my experience, entrepreneurs tend to be very lonely individuals when it comes to getting advice or talking to people about their business. And I discovered a while ago that in my normal course of conversation with entrepreneurs, I often find myself using real-life examples of either stories I know about or news headlines that I've heard as a way to show entrepreneurs that you're not alone, that even though you're running a unique business or a unique product or a unique service, you're not really as unique as you think. And so the purpose of this podcast is to take some of the stuff happening in the world in relatively real time and try to pull some threads out of it that you, the listener, as an entrepreneur, so hopefully that's you, can relate to so that you can either be annoyed and uh, make some changes in your business or you can feel encouraged and inspired to keep going with whatever it is that you're doing. So thanks for tuning in this week. I try to write a blog post Monday through Friday about things going on in the business world. And this episode ends up being where I get to talk about each of the articles or the blog posts that I've written uh, and try to, you know, kind of tease them out a little bit and give you, the entrepreneur, something to think about. And so at the beginning of every episode, I always like to thank everyone that's listening and give a, a particular shout out to the folks that send me messages after the episodes and either giving me a thumbs up telling me it was brutal, or asking me questions, and ultimately trying to get some help for themselves. So um, before we get started on this week's episode, just want to remind you, if you're listening and you haven't done so already, make sure to get yourself a BridgeCap account, which you can find at bridgecap.ca. That is a tool for entrepreneurs to take advantage of, where they can learn how to fix, fund, and grow their business, whatever stage you happen to be at right now. The BridgeCap account is meant to give you some content and some tools to help get you through each of those stages because they just keep going around and around and around. And our goal uh, over the coming year is to provide some very interesting tools that aren't available in the marketplace so that you as the entrepreneur have some very practical and real real things that you can um, learn from to help build more valuable and profitable business. So let's get right into this week's episode. Enough with the pleasantries. You guys didn't, guys, gals, didn't download this episode. To hear the pleasantries, you, you downloaded this episode because you wanted to hear some things that you can relate to. So let's jump into it with, does your business compete on price? Maybe it shouldn't. My first blog post over the past week was about T-Mobile. And it was how T-Mobile absolutely smoked the other um, mobile phone companies in the United States, which is a massively competitive business. I think it's a competitive business all over the world. And T-Mobile ranks about third in the marketplace, um, but it was able to produce some pretty amazing results um, without 
competing on price. And what I was, what I pulled out of this for uh, entrepreneurs, uh, and something I talk about all the time, is that competing on price is a strategy to attract more business, but it can't be the only strategy. And the reason for that is because it's very difficult to build a stable business. Certainly a stable, small, or medium-sized business when all you're doing is competing um, on price because price is the simplest thing that somebody else, another company, your competition, can come along and compete on and they simply have to lower their price and uh, they win the customer base. And then the other the other side of it is that if you are competing on price, you tend to get the kinds of customers that go along with that type of a strategy, which means they are looking to take advantage of what you offer, but they don't necessarily put a lot of value behind what it is that you offer. And so if someone comes along and offers a better price, they're probably going to go with them. If um, you decide to increase your price, heaven forbid, then they most likely will start shopping uh, you around. And so it's funny because I'm involved in a business right now where this is probably a weekly conversation, if not weekly, definitely a couple times a month. And there just is resistance uh, by the management team to change pricing and to really reconsider how we present value to the marketplace. And that's because it's, you know, a more traditional type business and and these types of changes are easy to talk about. They're hard to execute on, especially when you have a very, very established customer base. But the established customer base is really only established because of the price. They're not necessarily attributing a lot of value to the other things, or at least in this particular business, we haven't had a, a chance to pressure test that. So I'm very familiar with this concept, and I talk about it all the time. Now, how this relates to T-Mobile is what they ended up doing is they found a way to increase their customers, by about a million subscribers in the last quarter, but they were also able to see their revenue and net income increase, which is which tends not to happen, certainly in a competitive marketplace. When you experience that much growth from a, a customer count perspective, you tend not to see growth in both revenue and net income. You might see growth in revenue, but you don't see it in net income. Most times that's because you drop your prices to get a bunch of customers, which means your uh, the money available to pay for your bills is a little bit less, which means your net income goes down. So if you're able to, A, increase your customer base, B, increase your revenue, and C, increase your net income, you've got the trifecta of running just a beautiful, beautiful business. And so what was their what was their angle? How did they do it? How how were they able to get the perfect um, the hat trick, if you will, uh, for all you hockey fans out there? How were they able to score a hat trick in this quarter by nailing all three of those things: growing their customer base, growing their revenue, and growing their net profit? Well, it's because they figured out, and they take a lot of pride. If you read about their their the things that they think they're very good at, they'll tell you, or you'll read that they're very good at putting promotions together. And so they're able to put bundles together and packages together and promotions together that uh, keeps the clients that they have, but then is enticing enough that it brings new customers uh, to them. And so they really say, you know, they, they really attribute their performance to their ability to understand the real customers that they want. And by real, that means it's not a necessarily a price sensitive customer. It's a customer that through the bundles being promoted, that the customer sees real value in those bundles, and so that's what wins them the customer. So what would, with the question I'd posed uh, to entrepreneurs was, what would your business do if you couldn't drop your prices, but you needed to attract new business? How could you repackage or bundle your products and services to provide more value to customers without sacrificing your margin? And if you could 
find ways to do that, then that means obviously you're going to grow uh, your bottom line. But you might also find that you're able to look at your business, you know, through maybe through a different lens and see that, you know, the, the, the way that you've been doing things over and over again um, maybe could use a bit of a change up. And that change up might look like bundling or packaging um, your products and your services together in such a way that you don't sacrifice price or margin, but you are able to present what your business does in a different way to the marketplace, which should keep your existing customers happy, but more importantly, give you the opportunity to go after new customers. So I thought that was interesting, mostly because I find him talking about this concept all the time. And it's one that entrepreneurs that are tried and true, set in their ways, they just simply do not want to talk about. But it can make a major difference if you're looking for it. Okay, the next article was about Under Armour. And uh, keeping with the theme of price, uh, you can't discount your way to profit. And again, the idea being that many entrepreneurs feel that they could sell more if they lowered their prices. And certainly that's true, but you can't do it in perpetuity without creating some serious problems in your financial statements. And then there's kind of, I don't know if, I wouldn't call it Murphy's Law necessarily, but in my experience, it the decision to price cut uh, always begins with good intentions. And the intentions are, look, we want to gain a little bit of market share. We want to increase our customers. We're going to drop our price and life's going to be great. But depending on how stable your business is, the more unstable it is, the more likely uh, your business is to experience what often happens is that there are other circumstances or issues that arise that mean, that that impact uh, your bottom line, not just because you're discounting, but there's like other, there's some other items that pop up. For example, maybe, um, um, I don't know, all your staff take holidays, or maybe you can't get enough inventory, or maybe your, your paid advertising campaigns all of the sudden have competitive keywords in them that you weren't expecting to have to bid on. Under Armour really, I think, <laughs> got, got caught in a perfect storm of what happens when you're not paying attention to your margins, and you are using disc discounting as a strategy to grow your business. And in the case of Under Armour, there's kind of a bunch of things that happen. So first of all, the CEO, so they decided to discount because they needed to gain market share. So that business decision was already made. Then CEO and founder Kevin Plank stepped down. The e-commerce strategy that Under Armour had been looking to employ still, even to this day, is not um, is not at the level that it's competitors are at, but more importantly, not at the level that customers um, are used to, to experiencing. And then those two things co um, compounded by the fact that the coronavirus was going to impact kind of everything in retail all over the world for a whole bunch of reasons, which aren't important in this, in this uh, segment. But, you know, they decided to price discount, but they were already standing on pretty shaky ground as a business. And so when the CEO and founder left, that created some more instability. When they were not able to get their e-commerce strategy up to the market, I don't know, the bar that the market had set for, you know, competing companies like Under Armour and how they, uh, what their e-commerce strategy looked like. And then you, you, you sort of throw in something that no one could have anticipated, like the coronavirus. Um, all of the sudden, you've kind of got this perfect storm. And every business, of course, has a significant weakness somewhere that they need to strengthen. But in the case of Under Armour, 
there's a whole bunch of there's a whole series of of challenges that all collided at once, which ultimately found itself um, um, having to explain to the marketplace um, uh, what it meant to their bottom line, and the marketplace responded to their explanation by just absolutely smoking their stock price. So whether that's an opportunity to buy, I don't know. But in your business, if you're going to discount, and in my opinion, if you're going to discount, if you're going to compete on price for a period of time and you're going to drop your prices so that you can win some customers, you got to make sure that the other parts of your business are working really, really well so that the lost revenue that you've left on the table through uh, discounting your price um, doesn't have a disproportionate impact on your business because if you're running a business with slim margins and everything it just it just needs to work perfectly in order for you to deliver those slim margins, if all of a sudden you decide to go on a discounting spree and discount your sale price to customers, if something else were to go wrong in your business, then it could have very, very dire, uh, dire results. And, uh, and it might be tough to work out of. So uh, you can't discount your way to profit. There's a time and a place for discounting your sale price. But uh, at the end of the day, you do, I believe, that an, entrepre- an entrepreneur running a small, medium-sized business wants to focus on how much value they're providing to the marketplace and that they are attracting customers because of that value proposition, which doesn't necessarily mean it's absolutely 100% based on price. All right, moving right along, Simon Property Group, Zig, when others zag, is what I had titled the um, the blog post. And if you've never heard of Simon Property Group, you're not alone. <laughs> I hadn't heard of them either. Um, and it only caught my eye because now that I've been um, consistently blogging kind of every business day for uh, several, several months now, um, the Forever 21 retail business that went into bankruptcy was one of the most popular blog posts I wrote, as it turns out. And so when I saw it in the headlines that Simon Property Group was looking to purchase them, I couldn't help but take notice. And then as I got into what Simon Property Group is trying to do, I thought, you know what, there's probably something here for entrepreneurs to benefit from. And it happens to fit my ethos and how I look um, at business. And so first of all, Simon Property Group, they're a real estate investment trust, and they are the largest shopping mall operator in the United States. Be If you've paid attention to my blog or the news headlines, you'll know that retail is suffering very badly uh, right now. That uh, the, the, the tricks from the last couple of decades are no longer working. The consumer behaviors are changing. The the manner in which products are marketed and sold via online e-commerce strategies is affecting uh, the brick-and-mortar retail marketplace. And so uh, retail's just had a tough go. But Simon Proper Property Group believes that when the dust settles, because this won't go on forever, that people aren't going to stop going to shopping centers, um, what they've done is they've decided to focus on acquiring top-tier shopping malls, which are performing, which generally, of course, perform better than lower-tier malls. That's why they're called top-tier malls. Um, And that they think by getting in today when the market is as beat up as it is, that over time, time will prove them right. That getting in when the price was low, when everyone was fleeing, the scene gave them an opportunity to put some very cheap assets on their balance sheet that over time are going to appreciate and ultimately will, will will reward them with a great uh, stock price and dividend. And so um, I thought 
you know, there are entrepreneurs out there that are watching things happen in their marketplace and get nervous when they see the market drop and when they see the market fall. And I happen to live in a city and in a province where, where we've been dealing with that for a few years now. But if you've taken any time at all to read business history or biographies or understand how some of the greatest companies in the world were built, uh, they were built when the entrepreneur running the business saw gold, when everyone else saw garbage, or that old saying that when there was blood in the streets, that's when there's money to be made. And so it takes uh, some gut Uh, It takes a strong gut to be able to make a decision like that and some conviction to go against the grain of conventional thinking. But, um, you know, if everyone is saying uh, sell, 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 there is someone that has to be on the other side of that transaction doing a buy, 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 buy. And so uh, when these markets fall like this, the folks that have the... um, Uh, have the knowledge and the experience and can kind of see what's really going on. They're able to overlook the short-term pain. Short-term could be years. It doesn't necessarily mean days. It could be years, but they're able to make um, a very good investment decision and take advantage of negative, of the negativity happening in the marketplace. And so my challenge to an entrepreneur would be what, what are the trends taking place uh, in your market right now? Are there some negative issues or some challenges facing your marketplace that if you were able to look at them through a different lens, that you'd see an opportunity that your business could take advantage of? Um, Fear can be one of the reasons that you may decide not to move into an opportunity. But, But if you're good at what you do, and you've been doing it for a long time, and you've got a great team, your knowledge and your experience should be able to help you think through the investment and alt the investment you'd make into a negative situation and uh, see if you can't pull something positive out of it. And um, if you don't have the knowledge and experience, then hold off. Don't make a silly decision. But if you do have the knowledge and experience, you understand your, understand your industry, your product, your customer really, really well, then you might be surprised by what is available to your business by making a decision to lean into a difficult or a tough moment or a tough circumstance. And uh, a couple of years from now, just like the Simon Property Group, you might be looking back going, you know what? We were zigging when everyone else was zagging. And here's what it did to our balance sheet. Again, kind of one of the things I am a contrarian by nature, so I'm constantly looking to zig when others zag, but I appreciate that not everybody sees the marketplace that way. And it does take... um, It does take sort of a certain psychology or a certain understanding of what it is that you do to be able to make uh, decisions like that. Um, But it's certainly something, If as an entrepreneur, if there are negative things happening in your marketplace, it's something worth considering because there might be some, some gold sitting in all of that garbage. All right, how can you easily find new customers? And this is about Apple. And there are, of course, there are some companies that I find myself talking about more than others. But Apple, uh, you know, they just they just do a great job. Um, their stock price reflects that. Their products uh, reflect that. And this recent announcement was that sometime soon, Apple's going to be releasing a lower-priced phone. And not because they have to, but because they want to. They see that there is an, an entire marketplace of customers that are not inside of the Apple ecosystem. And so they're looking to create a lower-priced phone that's going to have, you know, lower specs. It's probably, you know, something like Face ID or the hardware, the processors, um, or the process, the processor inside the phone. It may not be exactly what's in the, in the new phone, iPhones. But what they're trying to do 
is uh, take what they've become very good at, which is giving a high-end experience to their customers and bringing it what I would call down market or into a market that they currently don't have access to. So there's a whole bunch of cell phone providers, hardware providers that service, you know, kind of the sub, what is it, what do you call like sub $500 phone market. And Apple thinks if they developed uh, a lower end phone, that, that that would be an easy way for a segment of the marketplace to onboard into their ecosystem, where, of course, uh, they, they have a variety of ways to continue to earn uh, revenue once they attract that customer base. And so what I kind of the challenge I had tossed out in my blog was that when you have an existing base of customers, um, finding a new market of customers can be tough to do, and that's mostly because I think entrepreneurs see what they want to see. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's if you started the business, it's really hard to find your first customer, let alone building up a stable group of customers. And then when it times when it comes time to grow, you you might just have a natural blind spot and not be able to see an opportunity to go get some new customers that's sitting right in front of you. And just because you have a certain kind of customer now doesn't mean that you can't consider servicing a new kind of customer in the future. And so if you thought about that, you could sort of go, well, what kind of customer do I serve right now? In the context of Apple, they serve people who are prepared to pay um, north of $500, dollars $800 for a device. But if you were able to make some adjustments to your products and services, much like Apple did, could you attract a new kind of customer? Could, you know, maybe your margins are a little bit lower, but maybe you are able to grow out a customer base that could add a different, um, uh, a different measure of stability uh, to your business. And... You know, I think if you can't come up with anything, that that probably is an indication that you've got some blind spots or you just aren't straining hard enough to try and figure out where that is. And it takes a little bit of experimentation. Uh, a business I'm currently involved with right now, we are in the midst of experimenting. We um, have been servicing the same type of customer forever. And quite frankly, we 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 compete on all of the traditional metrics. We compete on, uh, firstly, price, and so you know my opinion on that. Um, and then secondly, we compete on um, uh, our ability to deliver a final... Um, a final... Um, uh, a final product, if you will, um, within a certain amount of time. And so we are not in control of the variables that our customers are using to make decisions about working with us, but we are in the midst of trying to find new customers where those same variables don't matter. Price isn't, isn't the key for them, and uh, delivery is, but um, communication is more important to them. Uh, being able to invoice properly is more important to them. Uh, being able to see kind of the status of what's going on is more important to them, and they're prepared to pay a disproportionate price for that because having access to that information helps them do better things in their business that uh, our current customer base just doesn't really doesn't really care about right now. So I'm not just talking about this as an idea. This is something that I, I work on um, pretty much every day. And I thought that Apple being able to, you know, big company like Apple doing the same thing, going, look, we have an existing base of customers, but you know what? We're going to try to go after a new base of customers. It's not going to be awesome. Probably going to learn a lot. We might not get it right. But we got a lot of smart people here. We can figure it out. And so my challenge to you is, Maybe you could do the same thing. All right, and rounding out this week's episode of News Entrepreneur's Experience is an article about Uber. And I titled, I had titled my blog, Why is Being Profitable So Hard? 
the reason I think, if you're running a business that's less than five years old, uh, I think that finding or being profitable is really hard because profit doesn't like it doesn't really show up anywhere like a bill. You know, when you get a bill from a vendor, you can go, that's a bill. I know I got to pay it. When you have given an invoice to a customer, you can go, that's an invoice to our customer. That's going to be money in the bank. However, when you're paying bills this week, collecting money from customers next week, purchasing inventory today, paying employees at the end of the week, all of that movement of money and cash flow can make it difficult to understand if your business is in fact profitable. So if you feel that way, if what I just said some, somewhat resonates with you, take heart because it appears Uber has the same problem. Uber, just as a quick backdrop, um, which is which is k- kind of conventional for, for technology type companies, is you raise a boatload of money, you go to the marketplace, you, you run at a loss, but you make sure that you're continuing to gain market share with the math being that at some point down the road, um, your company will be very, very valuable because it would have captured all of the market and is then in, is then in a position to determine what it wants to charge uh, people for the particular service that it offers. And that kind of is the way the math goes. Now, we don't all get to run businesses like that. <laughs> Most of us have to run businesses that are profitable right out of the gate because going to the marketplace and raising money through venture capitalists and, and going public you know, that's just not something most of us are going to do. But Uber's doing it, and now that they've been doing this for quite some time, they're getting to a place where they have to find profitability. But what's interesting is if you read any articles, maybe in the last 30 days, you'll see that they don't really have a strategy for it. You know, they're kind of throwing, uh, they're throwing all the things at the wall that you and I would throw at the wall, which is cutting costs, um, improving how you deliver your service, how you interact with your customers, how you know how can you increase your margins by increasing price, yada yada yada. So Uber lost 1.1 billion last quarter. Yes, that's 1.1 billion with a B. However, the market is saying, "Hey, we want to see that Uber can generate some positive earnings um, after all these years of intentional losses meant to help buy market share." You know, like at what point does Uber begin to turn a profit? Now, I'm giving a bit of a crass uh, analysis of this, but I'm only doing that because it needs to relate to my to me and to other entrepreneurs that might be listening to this podcast. And the idea is you can't run your business at a loss. You can't not understand how your business is going to be profitable. And so even though there's a lot of movement in your business uh, between all the different things that the pro- your profit gets used for, you still have to take the time to get on top of understanding your business uh, in a way that makes sense to you. You don't need to be an accountant. You can hire an accountant. You don't need to be a finance expert. You can hire a finance expert. But it is your responsibility to understand how your business generates profit and then what that profit get gets used for. And I wish I could give you like a magical way to do this, but it's it's almost impossible to do because... Every entrepreneur understands their business a little bit differently. I've worked for entrepreneurs that only understand their business through the lens of sales, which is an important one. Sales cures all. Everybody knows that. Without sales, operations means nothing, uh, and finance doesn't really have anything to account for. So sales is important, but then they look at their profitability through the lens of sales. And so, you know, the the exercise of understanding profitability, if your vision or if your view uh, is through the lens of sales, then it has to be driven by kind of top line and cost per customer and, and so forth. 
Whereas other entrepreneurs, they understand their business more on the basis of being able to pay their bills. And so profit, you know, how they look at their business um, and their cash flow looks very different than the, the, the entrepreneur that is more sales minded. So there isn't like a single way to do this, but there, but profit is, uh, is a formula. There is a way to figure it out that is consistent across uh, accountants, controllers, entrepreneurs, investors, etc. So profit is very real, but how you understand it can be different. And so, uh, you know, a small business year zero to five, it's pretty fluid. It can be difficult to figure out how, what what profit is and how it works in your business. But if your business is more than five years old, you most certainly must have a very very good handle on it. And as an entrepreneur, find a strategy that works for you. So that every week or every two weeks or certainly every month, you are crystal clear on whether or not your business is profitable and more importantly, what your business is doing with the profits. Um, not knowing how your business generates a profit is not a topic that you can afford to be ignorant about. The longer you delay understanding it, the quicker you will find your business in a tough spot. So, and I know I talk about this a lot. Yes, Dylan, I know, I know, I know, I know there's my balance sheet, which is what I own and what I owe. I know there's a profit and loss statement, which is what I made, what did I spend, and the rest is profit. And the profit should go from my profit and loss statement over to my balance sheet as retained earnings or shareholder equity. Yeah, yeah, I get all that, but I still don't understand it. Well, as of today, don't let that be an excuse. Figure out if your business is profitable, how does it become profitable, or how does it generate profit, and then what does your business do with that, with that profit? And that's all I've got for you today. That was uh, that was a lot of fun, a lot uh, very interesting. I hope you were able to pull something out of that. Uh, if you were, please make sure to share or rate this podcast so that it gets in front of other entrepreneurs that could uh, benefit from what has been said here today. If uh, if you have any questions about what I talked about, shoot me a note. I'm pretty easy to find. LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me and send me a message, and that would be great. And I would encourage you again to register, get a BridgeCap account. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything, but there's lots of good stuff in there for you to take advantage of. And if you're not doing anything next week around the same time, maybe we will uh, catch you on the next episode.